Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 95, Advanced Merger Discussions. This episode is brought to you by our friends at True Victory. If you are not perfect, if you have ever struggled, if you have ever failed, if you have ever been the underdog, if you have ever doubted yourself or been doubted by others, if you want to get better, be better, and make our world better, this is the perfect brand for you. Founded by U.S. military veterans, True Victory is a sportswear and streetwear brand dedicated to building everyday champions on and off the field. True Victory is not simply a company, they're a cause. Its purpose is to transform lives and elevate humanity through the power and unity of sports, positive stories, and serving others. They are dedicated to the game, the grind, and the globe. But most importantly, they are dedicated to you. If you want to strive for something better, while proudly showing others your determination, grit, and supporting people like yourself, check out the True Victory Shop by simply clicking on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code PLAYER54 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. Boy, oh boy, do we have some big developments. This week, the USFL podcast co-host Zach Kyleman returns to discuss the advanced USFL-XFL merger talks. In addition, Tight end and long snapper Miles Wright joins the show to discuss his football journey and XFL showcase experience. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On September 19th, Exios senior media reporter Sarah Fisher, along with their colleagues Tim Basinger and Dan Permack, reported the USFL and XFL are in advanced talks to merge. Per the Axios report, three sources familiar with the merger discussion provided the following details. The merger structure would be as equals, therefore a 50-50 ownership. The merger agreement would require regulatory approval. Game broadcasts for the combined league are likely to be split between Fox and Walt Disney Companies. NBC's involvement has yet to be determined. Goal of combined league for the 2024 seasons. Agreement could be made by the end of the week. Axios reached out to both leagues for comments. The following quote was taken from the XFL's email statement. We will not comment on rumors and speculation. On the other hand, USFL ownership, Fox, did not return a request for comment. Also on September 19th, Sportico reported on its ex-formerly known as Twitter account the following. Breaking. The XFL and USFL are nearing an agreement to merge. Sportico story to follow. Within minutes, Sportico released its XFL-USFL nearing agreement to merge operations. Article by journalist Scott Shosnick. Per the article, sources not authorized to comment on the matter shared the XFL and USFL are nearing an agreement to merge operations. An agreement would need to clear regulatory approval in order to create an American Unified Spring Football League. Although Sportico reached out to both the XFL and USFL, both declined to comment. Also on September 19th, Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson reported the following on his ex formerly known as Twitter account shortly after 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Developing. 
per source, hearing that it was Redbird Capital, on the XFL side of things, who originally initiated internal discussions with the USFL. Something to take into consideration regarding a potential USFL and XFL merger. On September 20th, Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson reported the following on his ex formerly known as Twitter account at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Developing. Regarding a USFL-XFL merger, it is likely that we do not see all 16 teams in action, per source. Hearing that organizations without venues currently secured are in hot water. Something to keep a close eye on. More details coming soon. Also on September 20th, the Detroit News staff writer Tony Paul, which was published shortly after 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, reports that per source with direct knowledge of the conversations, USFL leadership has been informing coaches and personnel recently that, and quote, those talks are taking place. The same source also said that merger could happen as soon as 2024 and as late as 2025. Also on September 20th, XFL insider Mike Mitchell appeared as a guest on a special edition MarkCast discussion, which began around 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. During the broadcast, Mitchell shared the following pertaining to the merger talks. April start, 10 teams, USFL's Birmingham Stallions, Houston Gamblers, Memphis Showboats, and an Ohio-based team. XFL would lose Houston Roughnecks and Vipers. ABC, Fox, and NBC broadcast. On September 21st, Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson reported the following on his ex, formerly known as Twitter, account at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Breaking, the USFL and XFL are currently pursuing a new league name in regards to their merger discussions, confirmed by multiple sources. Major development to watch closely. If the XFL-USFL merger goes through, it is extremely likely that we see an entirely new brand. On September 22nd, Roy S. Johnson, a columnist and director of content development for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com, piece released a bit before 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, reported the USFL's Birmingham Stallions will be among the teams included in the USFL-XFL merger plans. In the article, Jefferson County Commission Chair Jimmy Stevens was quoted with the following. I spoke with someone and received assurances the Stallions will be a part of whatever the new league looks like. They said... They look forward to continuing their relationship with us as it has been in the past. Also on September 22nd, I reported the following on my ex, formerly known as Twitter, account just before 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. USFL-XFL merger discussions. Shelving Marcus teams. Those not included in the rebranded league's 2024 season are not finished. They could return in 2025, 2026, etc. As expansion or by relocating another market team. Also on September 22nd, Neil Stratton's Inside the League newsletter included information pertaining to the USFL-XFL merger discussions. Here are the following Tuesday bullet points. 12 teams, 6 from each league. USFL coaches' respective status seemed less certain than those in the XFL due to contract structure of one-year deals. Since the new league will have a slightly more XFL feel to it. Here are the following Wednesday bullet points. Play in six USFL-style hubs. Detroit, Canton, and St. Louis are among location consideration. League would like to expand into new markets, including Louisville and Phoenix. I would like to take a moment to note that I am sharing timestamps with each of these reports. There is so much information coming out that I believe it is important to identify the information and the timestamp of who reports it first. As this developing story continues to move forward, 
I will do my best to research and identify those who reported it first. As I have previously mentioned, we will now be joined by the USFL podcast co-host, Zach Kyleman, to discuss the advanced USFL-XFL merger talks. Welcome back, Zach. I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show to discuss the ongoing USFL-XFL merger talks. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's exciting times in the industry right now. Or maybe even if you maybe if you're feeling the opposite way, I've seen folks that are also a little discerned about it. I mean, that's kind of I think why we're on here is to talk about all the angles. But I think to me, it's a very a cautious optimism. I think it's the best way I put it right now. I think there's a lot of head spinning, you know, one way or another, you know, emotions from it doesn't matter what camp you're from. But uh, we're going to dive into that. But, uh, you know, not to go down memory lane here too much and take up too much time. I had to do a little research before you came on. You were the third person to appear as a, a guest, to grace the show as a guest. And that was mm-hmm. back in December of 2021. Yeah, it's been a minute. I know it's been a little while since I've jumped on for a conversation with you on here. We've talked outside of here, of course, but it's been a minute since we've done a show. But yeah, wow. I will say I didn't remember. I didn't realize I or recollect as much. I was the third guest. So uh, early on stuff. That's nice. It's really nice. The show launched in October and I went, I was a solo act of 20 minutes, you know, episodes there for a while. And then finally I branched to bring some people on, but yeah, third guest. So, you know, I can't help but think that as the guest goes, you're one of the pioneers who have helped to establish the show to the, the version that we have today. And you, you know, whether you want to say a stepping stone or whatever, but a, a key part in me getting people like, Dean Blandino twice, yeah. Tom Luganbill twice, Emery Hunt. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So many others have appeared on whether it was Let's Talk XFL when it first launched or now in the rebrand of Player 54. So it is great to have you back. I mean, I had to use that memory lane piece because some people may not have been around long enough, but I like to give credit and recognition where it's due. And uh, me doing this show isn't just, essentially one person it took so much to get here because this is episode 95 and people like you i just wanted to take that moment and i know we can sit here and uh, put people on soapboxes all day and pats on the backside fives but i just want to take a moment to recognize that and maybe some of the listeners will recall back to i think that may have been like episode nine or something but anyway that's a long time ago long time ago yeah it feels like in the uh cycle we are in with news and league coverage that feels like an eternity to say december 2021 to think back there but dude i mean i all honesty that's that means a lot i'm uh very much flattered uh by that thank you appreciate you having me on anyway and i've loved seeing how you've grown just outside the show if we're being really honest with each other you know i love I've loved watching how yours has gone from humble beginnings of like waiting for the XFL to return, possibly New York. Now you're an Orlando Guardians guy. You're in Florida supporting the team too. You know, times change and shows grown. You've gotten great guests. So like wanted to put that out there too. Like I see that too. That's it's impressive stuff you're doing, man. So, you know, as a person on the outside more times than not keep at it, you're doing a great job. This is a very mutual. You are welcome for what I said, and I really appreciate what you said. All right, done with the high fives, back slaps. Let's uh, let's move on. So, since your last appearance, a good amount of time, you know, changes things. So, you are now the co-host of the USFL podcast with yes. the ref. 
So knowing this, after seeing the Axios and Sportico pieces that dropped of these advanced USFL and XFL merger discussions, and what appears to be a 50-50 you know, split on ownership moving forward, my initial reaction after the shock and surprise, however you want to do it, I mean, head spinning, I knew you'd be the ideal person to have the conversation with. So here we are. We're having it. I'm glad you're able to do this. I'm going to mention this up front because there are so many moving pieces to this and who knows what news comes out at any point. We are recording. This is Thursday, Mm -hmm. early afternoon on the East Coast. All right. So we don't know what may come while we are having this conversation. We don't know what will come afterwards. But just as a little asterisk, whoever's listening to this, because this comes typically out on the Monday, got several days here. There's a lot (laughs) that could change here. So we're going to we're going to kind of dive into all this. So with that being said. What were your initial thoughts when you first learned of the USFL, XFL, or an advanced merger discussions? I was just mostly surprised that we have gotten to this point so quickly. I think I'm with the majority here in thinking we would not be seeing this in a year two, year three scenario. And both these guys kind of felt like post their championships, they dug their feet in, said, hey, we're doing this. It's my way or the highway. We're both delivering players to the NFL at a a very high volume. There's no reason for us to look at a merger. We're going to keep going and our method works best. So credit, that's what the public saw. You know, you, you read into reports and other, at least uh, dealings of saying what's going on. And it's been reported that apparently they've been talking since July. So, you know, everyone else behind the scenes, like, well, yeah, it's, it's status quo. And that's how it should be. A business should keep going until, things are expected to change and higher ups do make that call. But, you know, that was my thing was like, I don't know. I was first just saying I'm surprised and I'm not sure why right now is the instant merger point. And unless they looked at the ratings, they looked at themselves and basically saw what everyone else saw and said, they virtually matched themselves almost one-to-one ratio in pretty much any aspect they did on television and numbers. The difference is, of course, being the business model. But that's my only thing is like, I'm shocked we've gotten here already. But most people I thought were, I think we're in the back of their head. We're thinking this was some point going to happen. I guess this is just accelerating the process towards the, (laughs) towards the exit door for both of them into a new building where they're sharing office space. Yeah. I mean, I think it's only fair to share my thoughts, right? This is oh, yeah. I mean, I want to hear yours, very, too. A very candid conversation. I mean, I, I was, I've done another show when this first happened. But, um, you know, I, I was surprised of the news because I didn't expect this to be a possibility now, like you said. I mean, this is, you're not the only one. I thought eventually this would become a reality just much sooner than expected. So I think that's what's got everyone spinning and, you know, after that shock wore off, and I think that's the best term to use where it's not like, you know, some life altering event, but I think when you're covering something and you're into it, when that shock comes off, like, okay, they're talking about for 2024. So th- that's yeah. quick. It's not like, okay, they're talking this. We probably won't see it for the next season. That'd be a different thing. I don't think that shock. So I think that shock factor is a bit real. And I think it's honest to have that. So, you know, I had no emotional thoughts. I just looked at this from a business standpoint and because I studied sport management at Kesnoe College, you know, that was my minor. I got my business degree, but I got into sports financing and all, all, all that stuff. I did 
internships with what used to be the Rochester Rhinos during their heyday when they were winning championships before uh, essentially the team went down. I was, they also owned the Rochester Rattlers at the time of the major league lacrosse. So I mm-hmm. worked in an office for both of those. I got to see a lot of behind the scenes stuff, stuff that most people just don't understand in the sports world. Okay. Cause it's a business side of sports. Yes. So, you know, I had to look at this from a business standpoint. I'm like, all right, let's remove the emotion. doesn't matter what I'm a fan of. I've seen teams that I've been, or leagues that I've been fan of come and go. All right. So let's, let's remove that. Come on. I'm 43 year old man. I could try to look at this logically. That's so I'm like, I, I'm going to look at this logic. And from that standpoint, I understood that this is needed for the future of professional spring football for it to be legitimate. We're not just talking about for one or two more years of future, like long-term because everything is about profitability, longevity, and the resources that both of these entities bring is pretty massive for a single entity. If we think about it. So it I, does, it doesn't matter if Redbird made the phone call. doesn't matter if Dwayne and, and Danny weren't on board with the phone call being made. I think at some point, when you're in business the way that Redbird Capital has been in sports and owning various entities around the world, I think it was smart. doesn't mean it's out of desperation. I think it's what's your long-term play. Do we continue to go head-to-head and see that, okay, there's obviously a drop in viewership. And it's not a shot at the USFL. They had a slight, you know, because another thing is competing some weeks head-to-head. So that that impacts things. Well, how long do you continue Especially if you see a drop. What if the XFL took a drop in year two? Right? You have to start thinking like there's no guarantee you build, right? You have to start thinking about these things. So we can get into the details. But I've been doing this long enough, the podcast side, since October 2021, as I alluded. And along the way, I've been fortunate to connect and build relationships with key members within the spring alternative football community and even the XFL for that matter. I never anticipated that I'd have the conversations. And phone numbers and email addresses that I do. I, again, whatever discussions happen, happen. All right, I get it. So that gives you a little bit more insight, not just from my college experience, right? So now I'm doing a podcast. Call it sources. Call it one guy used to mock me and call them sauces or whatever because uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, Adam Scheffner type stuff. I get it. Whatever. That's cool. I, I, I don't care. It's not about praise. So for whatever that's worth, I've had many conversations and knowledge of things along the way. So it makes me start to realize things from a business standpoint, even within the XFL house. I don't have to be in all those meetings to know. I think that steers my thought process. I'm like, you know what? We're not having 16 teams. I'm like, I, I knew right then. No. I don't care what was being reported in Axios or Sportico and everyone's talking about, you know, possibility. I'm like, we weren't having 16 teams. I'm like, you know, I shared on the Neon Green Mafia a fan show for the Orlando guardians on Tuesday evening. When this first came out, I'm like, uh, we're looking at 10, 12 teams. And I really see this being dictated. Those teams, those markets being dictated by venue contracts because it's got a short window here. I'm like, so it's not about who you're a fan of and who you're not. It's just common sense told me Arlington renegades have a venue. The Birmingham stallions have a venue. Can't Ohio's locked in as a venue. DC Defenders has a venue. Orlando Guardians have a venue. The Memphis Showboats have a venue. San Antonio Brahmas have a venue. Seattle Sea Dragons have a venue. St. Louis Battlehawks. There's nine markets. Now, 
we've have all these uh, reports. And I've heard things as well tied to Houston that's just waiting at Rice Stadium to ink a contract. Hmm. Just put pen to paper. It's ready to go. Well, that's either the gamblers or the roughnecks. But if you're so heavy on the XFL side because venues were a big part of their business model, I have to say that's a gambler's market now. There's concessions that have to be made. Right? Well, I mean, that's every merger. Like you're you're bound to lose something. I know that they're putting out there, and, and this is just me. Some of the stuff you do have to read through the speak of it, where it's 50-50 equals. Like, yes, on the front office side, I imagine you're gonna see 50-50 equals. On TV, you're absolutely gonna see bare minimum 50-50 equals. But beyond that, it's gonna come down to what makes the most sense to make one league work. And where we can see it, the best chance for green to be at the end of that profit margin, which, you know, there's conflicting stuff all over the place for how the financials have been. The only thing that has been thrown out there that I even say has been consistently reported well was the $60 million loss with the XFL. I know that Fox and NBC have said that they have been, quote, profitable for the USFL, but that's not a number for figures. I just leave it at that. I let those quotes go. They say their thing. That's all we know. But at the end of the day, you're trying to combine assets to make something that is two audiences going back into one, which I think that's the biggest draw for this is that they went, you know, XFL 2.0 didn't have to go the challenger and it drew million dollar or million viewer numbers almost every game. And it didn't have a split or anything like that. Credit the USFLs had one season. But then, of course, if you're merging, you can argue as execs, well, we did get bagged stigma from the hubs, from people. Maybe now if we have all venues and we can have a united front in advertising and marketing and more big networks behind us, that this will work. And we can get back to those 2.0 numbers of hitting like consistently almost 1 million every single game. I mean, remember, FS1 of all channels had million viewership games. Like that sounds ridiculous compared to like now when we're happy if FS1 gets upwards of 500,000 for a USFL game like that. That's the peak. So seeing all this, yeah, you're going to see concessions. And like, I completely agree with you. Like when I was, when looking through this, that was like one of my first thoughts is like, I'd love, like, first off, I was like, I'd love 16, but it's the same thing. You keep digging in, you keep thinking about how the business works. And if you've done podcasting enough and you listen in on the industry enough, you know, guaranteed assets will be the most valuable pieces to what you have in any merger, even in the bankruptcy, you could take the bankruptcy talks from 2.0 to 3.0, what was valuable from that? They had continuing old stadium contracts that they wanted and they got out of venues that they reused, you know, St. Louis, Houston. Let's just share what that was, Zach, before we move mm-hmm. on. They bought the rights to the XFL for $15 million, Danny Dwayne, mm-hmm. Redbird Capital. They had another eight point something million dollars of outstanding liabilities that they acquired by owning the entity at that point that weren't dissolved through bankruptcy. Okay. Mm -hmm. I heard somewhere. Now, again, I'm not going to get into it. I don't know if it's true. Okay. I'll share what I heard. I heard the dome in St. Louis had over a million dollars outstanding that wasn't dissolved. Okay. So this is why, and it kind of, it's perfect that you've shared what you did and it kind of brought us here. Because these venue contracts matter because there are heavy penalties for walking away if you breach that yes. contract. Okay. That's so kind good. of what I've actually been wondering about that with Vegas stepping away because they signed a two year deal. So the deal with that, even CBS, the affiliate out there, admitted it was $10,000 per game. 
$15,000 per year to rent the venue. That's all. So that's relatively cheap. So and, uh, anything that. they did to dress it up, even though Cashman wasn't really dressed up, but to bring in those scaffolds and, you know, put the Viper stuff on, you know, on the outer wall and, you know, of the old baseball diamond, that's additional money. But so to buy out, if you had a five-year deal, you know, you already closed out one year, you had four years remaining, it's $200,000 to get out of Cashman for the eyesore that it was. Okay. So we're not here to bash on Cashman, but no, 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 no. They, I they was, made the right I'm just talking, if we're talking stadium penalties, that's the main thing, you know, but credit, if you have that low of investment, which to be fair, that venue needed is okay with taking anyone. Honestly, that was probably what the case was. My my point being stadium contracts. Yes. They have penalties, but they're also super valuable if you already have a deal locked in because you have to, I mean, negotiations take a minute with venues. It's actually something like when we talk about, for example, teams that are trying to stay or how we're going to pick and choose, you know, I feel like you're going to get, of course, heavier XFL side teams. But like, if you are a merging asset, for example, and you were in contract talks with say, you know, Ford field in Michigan, which apparently they were doing counter offerings behind the scenes right now and i'm hoping and what it sounds like they are trying to see if they can get that done to be part of it because i wouldn't want to lose that fan base that was there or that connection with the city you already established in a year those are valuable assets to a merger you know you have those locked in now it's about how do we make the logistics and the money work for both of us so we can build upon what we thought we were going to get or maybe i would say the lessened amounts we didn't make in the first place just looking at what we know nine venues are secured all right if it's a 10 team league and they just need to sign houston one would have to think this isn't a guarantee but even reports that came out you know now since that that becomes the gamblers the houston becomes a gambler so if that's your 10 teams that i mean yes it becomes lopsided as far as what teams made it to this new endeavor of a league so it'd be six and a four split but if it gets to 12 and you convert, does that mean then you focus more so on, okay, the Vipers are gone. We conceded the, the roughnecks. So now maybe the focus is if we're going to go 12, we're so close in Detroit at Ford Field. Right. Our priority's got to be securing that. So we have now a fifth team coming from the USFL side of the camp. And then there have been talks down in um, New Orleans, have there not? I mean, I, I people have been correcting me. I, I've oh, there, there rumors, have but been. People say they're much further along than just rumors. So, if that's the case, it doesn't matter what the XFL was pursuing on the Vipers' end, right? You got to let that go, and that could be your fifty-fifty split as far as teams, not just ownership, because it doesn't matter. They're going to own. It doesn't matter if they're all XFL teams or all USFL teams. They're going to be in a fifty-fifty endeavor here. But there's chance so that the fan bases don't feel. You know, the USFL fan base doesn't feel completely like they were robbed out of this. Well, if you don't you, venues. Yeah, if you're doing 50-50 split, I think that's what close is what you want to get. To be fair, the business model for the USFL doesn't help in this scenario because you were already kind of on I mean, they were trying to keep costs at a minimum is what they're doing right now, trying to maximize the profit and still say, hey, you want to buy a franchise, which at the end of the day, this merger is to also help push forward hey look we have these stadium deals now in every spot in one league in one specific place sports 
valuation for television contracts and all that still is getting numbers every year. And we're still getting reasonable numbers for TV in this current industry, especially if you focus on the OTA deals that they're supposedly rumored to be talking about. Why not jump in at a lower rate than a higher top five sport like the NFL or NBA, MLB, you name it, and this is available. And you don't have to worry about that ambiguity of, well, you don't have a contract at a stadium. Well, you don't have a team in a place like the USFL didn't or like, say, with the XFL, where I don't know what the deal will be when they merge, like how this hub will work or if they'll do like the XFL's model hub where it'll be like, maybe you ask, well, you're flying out. I don't know. But I do think that in this, you do have, of course, the contracts are a big deal. The fan bases should be the ones that they're, of course, also dealing with, especially if you're talking like New Orleans. I've also been told by other by folks like same deal where it's like, yeah, there have been discussions in New Orleans that they want to get there. And the USFL knows this. It's one of the most popular fan bases, arguably the most popular non like in stadium fan base right now uh, in terms of merch sales, in terms of exposure. Um, you can maybe mar- argue that it's like the Maulers will be the other one since they had more of a fan base in Canton, Ohio, or like New Jersey even did. But New Orleans sells merch. It's one of the top selling like brands on their website, and it's one of the most engaged fan bases on social media. So if they are close, I don't know how close, but if they are close and you want to expand to get the best available fan bases with the most engagement from both worlds, do you delay to 2025 or are you that close to where you can get it knocked out and make it part of the merger? Like Michigan, I believe you can get that done. I have no idea how close new Orleans is. All I know is that they've been more aggressively talking about it this year and that's all I've gotten. But if they're close enough, you'd think you want to add that on, you know, and then that helps with the whole 50, 50 equals fan bases feel like they get their validation but at the end of the day, that doesn't always matter. The monies matter still. It's just this is all that's in play. You hope you can have more of your side to add on to what's already available. So no matter what happens, if it's 10 teams, there's six teams with fan bases that are, are not going to be happy. If it's 12 teams, there's four. And wherever the mix comes from. And we know that Canton is a secured venue. So there is a mm-hmm. fan base that is going to become the Ohio Maulers, Ohio Stars, Canton Stars, whatever, I mean, Generals, wh- okay, whatever that might be. The, the So there's hope that those brands right. stay alive, but it won't be with the city name that is ahead of it. Well, secured so, contract and a dedicated community, right. Canton, and the, I mean, and you have the Hall of Fame in your backing. Like, no matter what the merger is, that's an asset saying, oh, you know, we've got the Hall of Fame as its entity with us. And not to mention, like, if you, I don't know what, like, even if you wanted to say a championship in the merger, you have a place that has dedicatedly, that is dedicated for the last two years, done a neutral site spot to play a championship every year that you could say, Hey, want to do it again? You know, we already have talks with you with execs if we really wanted to do it. The term neutral may no longer be neutral if it, well, okay. It it won't be in this regard. I'm not taking it. Well, no, I mean, everything. Everything reported, you know, from our guy, James Larson, from Mike Mitchell, you know, it, no matter what it sounded like that, Canton's getting a dedicated team. Like, it, it is a guaranteed stadium contract. They're going to take a brand. They're going to slap a brand there that they have. Probably, I would argue, yeah, it's probably the Maulers. They probably keep it something like that or similar because they were there and also were in the championship last year, not too far away from Pittsburgh. 
you can draw Yinzers over if you wanted or make it Ohio's team that way. And again, it, it takes to your point, guaranteed stadium contract. It's in my hand. We can play with this, you know, and as long as we talk with the execs that made it and they want it, Ohioans have already spoken on other and other news outlets out there. They want their team and they would like to be part of this. So they're on board. Take them in. Yeah, I, I don't think it's much of a choice, right? I, yes, there are always choices and you can do whatever you want if your wallet's big enough. But if you're coming together, you're looking at it to conserve resources or pool resources and make the smarter moves. So I don't see them buying out of a contract. If they have a contract that's already there, I think a team goes there. I'm going to trust your instincts and your knowledge and everything that you are involved in that community that maybe the Mullers is the right choice. I just can't help but think that Canton Stars has a good ring because of the Hall of Fame. I, I mean, I'll be I'll be frank with you. I think that there's ways you can rebrand it. I mean, shoot, one of the ones that's been, and this is more of like a pro football newsroom discord discussion we've had, and I think it's brilliant. Someone brought up, what if we rename them the Canton Gold and reference the gold jackets with the oh, Hall of Famers? And that's a way of doing it. You know, I mean, credit, you can keep the gold name if you ever expanded to Denver or somewhere else, but say you didn't want to do the Maulers and you want it to be a Canton brand, that one fits the nature. What is Canton known for? The Hall of Fame, the greatest players of all time. The gold jackets are a staple of Hall of Fame culture. You could do that and then you could brand it around that. So there's options. I agree. Like, I don't, you don't have to, like, if, if you feel like the Maulers brand is a dedicated brand, that's what they'll be discussing is do we think that's going to be a brand we can ro- roll with and that we can just slap in there and make it make sense? Steel workers in, you know, mid-ish East Ohio, then go ahead. But otherwise, like, yeah, I there's options. There are trademark options that both these sides have that they could discuss at length. I think the USFL with the gold to me is my leading favorite, though, because it just ties in well if you want it. But that's what they have to figure out in the in the coming months. Like, what's that brand for that location? You know? Yeah, I mean, we could sit here and stool. I, I, that does fit pretty well. I agree. So as we kind of keep going down this new rabbit hole that we have, so yesterday, Wednesday, we have Pro Football Newsroom, James Larson, XFL Insider, Mike Mitchell. They're reporting, shared, whatever term people feel comfortable with. Either way, more information is tied to this merger coming out of Los Angeles. Okay, So between Larson and Mitchell, it does appear to become a reality that the branding of the USFL or XFL is out the window. It's done. It's going to be a new name, a new entity, a new brand for 2024 if it just comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. We also are learning from every which way that it is a 10 to 12 team league thing. So that really looks to be the reality. We were talking about you know, what our thoughts were, you know, but it seems to become a reality. And according to even what James said, it does seem to be because of secured venues, it's going to be playing a major factor in where these teams will be playing moving forward. So I don't think you're right. going to rebrand anything. So we don't have to keep going into rebranding. Obviously, other than Canton, Ohio, that would be one. And then Houston would be your question mark if you're just that close and just it's signing. Right. You got to figure out a couple of the markets if you're going to be 10 or 12, right? You just got to figure out whatever that's going to be. So, of course. Of course. Now, with all this information, also, before I get going, Mitchell also shared from what he's hearing, it's only broadcast television going forward. ABC, Fox, NBC 
and this is what's interesting about it because anyone that uses ESPN plus understands the XFL had a lot of things on ESPN plus every player 54 documentary that came out was on there. Every game was also available on there. The games are no longer available on ESPN plus. They have all since been uploaded to YouTube. Now I didn't know that that that's fascinating. I thought that I saw that I've seen the uploads for the XFL to put them on YouTube. I thought that was extra content. I have not been an ESPN plus subscriber for a few months now because I haven't watching the game. So I kind of jump off, but that is a bit of a wrinkle. I I kind of shocked that those didn't get archived much like, like past CFL broadcasts. Although I don't know if those are still on there either, but kind of surprising to me. So, and we can go down another whole rabbit hole because we know that Walt Disney has been hurting as an entity and they've been entertaining and discussing all sorts of selling portions or complete entities. ESPN and Penn has some new relationship. It costs X amount of money. Mm-hmm. Is ESPN out? This you and I don't know this. I mean, this is odd. Oh, I know. Does ESPN stay in as a avenue into as FS1 become just an avenue of we're just going to talk about it. It's going to be on our Colin Coward. It's going to be on our sports center. It's going to be on our, you know, whatever talking point shows. We're going to push it because broadcast television has the greater pull. So we've seen the better numbers and you've got to find a way to keep NBC into the mix, you know, because they're a partner with the USFL. I can't see that going away, at least for the upcoming season. So I almost forgot to share this piece because wait a minute, they're off ESPN plus that kind of jives a little bit, not really very telling, but somewhat telling of what Mike is saying that it's ABC, Fox, NBC. Wow. I, I mean, like, if that's your play, and we know with all the, the the strikes going on, and they don't know how things play out and how far behind they get on their content, maybe it is broadcast television for 2024 at least, as Walt Disney figure out what they're going to do with all their FX, which is head games, you know, what mm-hmm. they're going to sell that entity. ESPN, obviously, there are some strategic partnerships now with Penn uh, tied to that um, sports gambling and stuff. Maybe Penn doesn't want. That is one of the, it's, it's very interesting. So knowing these things now that are coming out now, not fact, again, discussion mergers until anything's finalized. We don't know what the of exact course. details, but these are the things at the table. These are the things that seem to be making some headway. Thoughts. Well, I'll tell you one thing. So my background is in television first off, and I do love for the sake of keeping up with my industry. I, I read, I love reading up on the new industry pieces. I love reading up on any nuggets I get. and. ABC right now, like it, it feels like I'll tell you for a fact, ABC is definitely in the process. They are getting offers on trying to be sold. Um, you can find these articles right now. Awful announcing is a great source for industry sale. There's also uh front office sports and others do this, but you have two companies, Byron out, Al- you have Allen Media Group and Nextar that have approached and have started talking for conversations, at least preliminary, about buying ABC. Now I don't know how this affects X, the XFL. Their partnership was with Disney. So if ABC gets sold, it's not really under the Disney umbrella anymore. You would then have to neg- negotiate with whatever media partner either has it, or you have to hope that part of the contract is accepted. And I would assume moved in with whoever owns that TV property. Now with the, with the discussion on the over the air channels, I get the lot log- logistics. If you look at the, at the ratings for, both these leagues, 
their best ones are on over the air. And it's because it's the easiest to access. Cable networks don't have as much pull as they used to. And I think in particular, really, unless you're going on ESPN, and I'll even argue maybe ESPN2, because ESPN2 does get somewhat reasonable numbers. FS1's not getting as much pull. And actually, that was a big surprise to me, was they didn't get anywhere near where I thought they would from XFL 2.0. Again, remember, this is a network that was pulling in like early weeks of the first five. We're pulling in 1.5 million viewers a game. It got its best ratings this year, USFL-wise, in its first game at just under 500K. To me, that was the biggest disappointment besides USA Network. In terms of it was the cable package for the USFL. I wish that would have done better. It didn't. I think it's just the times changed in three years. And now, if you're looking for the best coverage, over-the-air networks make the most sense. If you have, supposedly, according to Yahoo Sports, they had reported back when the USFL had started up that there was a three-year deal with NBC. So in a merger sense, if you're bringing in that deal and NBC wants to do it, you do have, in theory, a third year of NBC in your back pocket. You just then have to see if they want to do it again. That's the risk you're dealing with with a merger, because now in television, if you see with any sports property, any any like even television deal where it's like cable providers working with TV group, generally, the earlier you can start negotiations, the better, you know, especially sports properties. You want to be like, look at the Pac-12. You want to get this done. At a minimum, a year out or so is the best ideal. So when we started this off season, when I was on the USFL podcast with the ref, my initial thoughts post championship was all right. One of the things we're going to see is the USFL and Fox are going to have to go to the table soon to talk with NBC because you can't wait too long. If you want to re up, eventually you have to start talking, but if the merger has been happening behind the scenes since July, which is the high, the popular take right now is that it's been happening since the championship ended. Yeah. Those talks are in the background until the mergers settled. So if you get a deal, you focus on what are our, what's our data coming out with these three channels. You hope that Disney doesn't sell ABC yet. If they do, you got to figure out maybe the deal stays around, you know, and especially if ABC sells, who's doing the production on ABC because ESPN's 100%. not going to do it. ESPN's the backer for ABC sports. So you have to then figure out who's running it. Does Fox take over as like a part as like a third party? Does NBC do it? Who does it? I don't know. But these are all equations here. And Disney's in the grayest of areas because of that. Because if they sell ABC, you're not dealing with Disney anymore unless you want to keep ESPN, which I argue in this package. I know those three channels have been reported. You got to keep ESPN. It's the only other one that was that was drawing in terms of cable. And it's also because it's one of the top 10 most watched channels in the country. It was still drawing respectable numbers. And even that considering that was getting primetime good numbers for the XFL, you really should have a fourth channel. I wouldn't want to do just three, have four different avenues if you can. And if you even sell ABC, you do have four media partners you could pull from that diversify, but that's up to them. The ABC sale is going to be awkward. I don't know if they sell by April, but I know for a fact, Disney. Just if you read into the industry right now, they are actively listening to people's deals on trying to see what works for them. And they do want to sell it. It it looks like they want to move on. So kind of getting dicey on that network front. Otherwise, Fox and NBC, they're there. And you just got to figure out what the hell NBC wants to do past next year. That's the biggest draw. 
if this continues like this. Again, nothing is determined. We don't have. Of course. I mean, we don't even know if this thing's going to go through. Like, it's it's advanced talks, but, you know, we can also always step back. Although I do feel it's different than the XFL-CFL merger talks because we've actually played seasons now. There's no let's do this, and then we can then just reorganize for a year later. This is like in the middle of of actual functions now. We're in the we're in the weeds with both of these. Well, not only are you a true entity, not a startup again, coming to the table with two failed tries, attempts, whatever right. you say, you know, now coming to the table like, hey, you want to get together? Be like, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, we're kind of we're kind of struggling up here ourselves, you know, with some you know finances and stability ourselves, but at least they've you know strung it together to have over a hundred years of Canadian football. But the thing also that bodes well for this pairing is that these two entities, regardless of how different the business plan has been, the product is so much closer to being similar to than that of what the XFL was trying to have collaboration discussions. Some people say it wasn't merger, but whatever discussions with the Canadian football league, you know, bigger field, 12 man, three downs. I mean, right. I keep going with the position of the goalpost, you know, like hell, okay. so many differences. I, I mean, hell, Mike, I, I think the easiest discussion to me will is actually really the rule books because of the fact that honestly, you have one or two key rules. I think you're going to just consolidate on and then the rest of it's like, all right, let's figure out on the financials and the stadium and the broadcast setup. Cause otherwise like you're probably going to focus on that. Like one of the last bits is like, okay, we basically match rule for rule what wrinkles do we want to keep from either one? And then that's it. You know, that's probably a much shorter discussion than what's going on behind the, t- behind the curtain right now. And I think I heard it was like Los Angeles. They're still, they're talking at or something like that, but what you know, wh- wherever they're talking right now, that's the thing. What's going on behind the curtain. Cause I don't think it's rule book. It's pretty damn close. We've all joked about how close the rules are between these leagues and, you know, oh, one copied the other and just kind of looked at their homework from 2020 and took that or, you know, one has a little bit different. Like, it's wrinkles. That I mean, I'll, I'll be fascinated to see it, but, like, that will definitely be, like, one of the last things that's, I imagine, talked. Like, all the other stuff will get sorted out first. But I do want to see what they pick and choose. You know, like, I think the Expo kickoff stays. But I also argue I want two feet in bounds instead of one. But then the extra point system's got to be picked up. And then OT is going to probably be the same. You know what I'm talking about. Well, Zach, I'm a firm believer that when you get football minds in the same room, I don't care what you have a preference of. I bet you that can be ironed out in an hour at a table. And that doesn't oh, yeah. have to be ironed out here in September, October. Heck, doesn't be ironed out in November, December. Well, December would be ideal before you start camp. But if you're not going to launch a season in February and you choose March, April, whatever, whatever you want to agree on your start point, well, maybe you don't have training camp in January. The playbook or rule book, shall we say, does not have to be determined in these negotiations. That's something they can figure out. I know we as fans, people that tune in, might want to split hairs on something. But I believe you and I could sit down in a half hour, hour, and walk out and be okay. We're just adopting that because that's all it is. We'll take this one. We scratch this one. I mean, it's not that hard. You're not reinventing how many downs, you know, Okay, you you might split hairs on a couple of other things, but those are easy. It's existing. It's not drafting something from scratch and considering every other option. It's like, hey, what are we keeping? And you know it's going to be a hybrid of the two. 
it's going to be something of the two. And we don't have to split hairs of what that's going to be, what you prefer, what I prefer. It doesn't matter. We don't have a say in it. So we, we just know it'll be a hybrid. We will see some of both leagues in whatever, that, if this comes to fruition again. So, you know, the only thing I, I can really think of is uh, that I kind of want to dive into it. I'm not saying we have the answers to this. When I look at this, we know there's going to be people that are not going to be happy. There's going to be, if we don't have all 16 teams, and it doesn't matter what happens with the playbook, right? or I mean, the, the rule book, right? However that plays out, we have on both sides of this, whether it is the USFL diehards, the XFL diehards, yep. that for whatever reason, you can see it on social media and, and whatnot, whatever, some some people find it hilarious. Some people find it super annoying. But either way, they are really entrenched into which side is better, which side has the better this, whether it's players, rules, you know, business models, whatever. Everything's going to shift. Everything. It's not going to be 100% the XFL is doing. It's not going to be 100% the USFL. So no matter what, people are going to be upset about something. So if this merger comes to reality, what does this new endeavor? this new three-letter, four-letter acronym of a league do to have that not become joined together where that that is a small but very loud segment of fan base from both sides from really festering and kind of bashing you as a, you know, as, as a collective unit, which so it just kind of looks bad or, for, you know, worse for the league. I mean, this is something I don't think anybody's thought of because those people are real and they're pretty vocal. Oh, they are. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, there's no doubt about that. I you and I have both seen them. We we both we go on Facebook, we go on Twitter, which by the way, or I call it Twitter still, by the way. I don't care it's called X. But anyway, you see it. And it, it's funny, both those like social media platforms in particular are like it almost feels like completely different ways they argue in terms of how they go at it. But I don't the best way I, I would think you appease it. I mean, you just hope that they're mostly football fans first. That's the thing. You know, beyond that, hard to say. That's the loud minority of a lot of people. I think a lot of spring football folks just want spring football. They want more football. They're the diehard football fan. So I think their hope is that it's the large majority is taking that like average 600K, 600K and combining it into a nice 1 million-ish area. Maybe you lose some that were diehards of a specific brand, but you're. I think that's the aim is you want to hit that magical 1 million broadcast number per broadcast, you know, in most scenarios, like most broadcast windows. And so they might shed some people because, yeah, I'm not I wouldn't be shocked either. But I think their hope is they gain a collective audience in some way, shape or form. I mean, I I don't know how this was back in the day and credit. I was super young and I didn't follow it. But like, I almost imagine something like a WCW WWE matchup where it's like, you know, these are two flavors of wrestling, you know. Like, I'm a diehard WCW guy. You know, I don't want this to go away. And then you combine them. And yeah, maybe you lost a few people. All the, you know, Turner sold out to Vince McMahon. But at the end of the day, most of them go that direction. And so I think that's the deal. If the majority combines, I think that as much as I hate to say it, maybe the diehards that only like the brand for the brand will probably would be the casualty here but i think they want the most just the most possible that's it i mean you can only appease so much at some point you know 
as long as they're able to find and especially if they market it the right way to keep in mind if they merge i hope to god they're using social media tactics the xfl was using in terms of branding this in terms of showing off discussions and production on how they're getting this done because i think that'll help a ton you know trying to ease the animosities of two I think loud minority sections of the fan bases that are going F this league, F their designs, you know, or I hate the hubs and how they're doing us. Or I don't know. Not everyone's like this. And that's, I hate, it's weird that I see this or it's rare, but like, I hate the rock and how he's doing it or something like that. But you get my point. I think they just want the, they want the biggest collection. If you want to join and you're against each other, we'd love to have you, but the large minority of folks, they're going to have to pick and choose their own battles here. Cause I mean, you don't have to watch spring football, but I would love you to watch spring football. It's still going to be spring football. I don't think that merging should kill your interest in spring football. I think we should all enjoy the ride because you never know when a ride will end anyway, or you hope the ride's going to have a beautiful new beginning with this. So why not jump in? Like, don't make it because of a brand that you step away. You should enjoy it because you love football first. That's what we're all here for. <laughs> so let's say you're not one of those vocal people that are entrenched in one of the leagues. Okay. Let's say your brand still returns. Okay. And I don't know across the board. So this is where I'm a little ignorant. So just bear with me. And I, I hope maybe you can enlighten me and my listeners, but from what I've seen or can recall from seeing previously is that with the USFL, obviously their hub model, they had like two teams playing in each you know, market or something like that, where mm-hmm. your ticket was good for both games. Hypothetically, yes. right? So the bang for your buck was pretty good. Now, I'm not saying everyone stuck around for both games because that's a long day. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, I mean, we're being realistic, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good dollar value. It's one of the best aspects of their ticket sale. So you could buy two for one deals same day if you had that opportunity or same weekend that too. Right. So now if this merger becomes a reality and it doesn't matter whatever the team is, happens to be of a USFL origin. Now you'd have to say, okay, there's not no longer two games in the markets because the model shifts, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be one of the concessions probably coming from the USFL side because that's obviously contracts. The venues are going to steer teams. And so let's say you're Birmingham. Let's say you no longer have the the second team. But now, from what I recall, tickets prices, individual ticket prices, were less for the USFL than they were for the XFL. Again, business model dictated a higher price. Right. I don't see the XFL side significantly slashing their prices to match. I don't think we're going to see as wide of a gap, say, between Birmingham and Orlando. I think you're going to look at things probably like if you lose the value of potentially going to two games, even if you came in for the second game, like a quarter or a half early and you caught a little bit, right? You're looking at the bang for your buck. Now you lose that. Now it's just one game. And if they're looking to do a price increase, because now the balance sheet's got to make sense, right? Because you're in business across the board. You're not just one-sided thinking, you know, concessions again. How does that go over in Birmingham, Memphis, those in Canton that were supporting teams? Obviously, they weren't attached to the team, but they were just out there to support football. How do you see that? You know, that's, I mean, 
these are the things, there's a plethora of things coming across. I don't think people are thinking, but that's a fundamental shift in not only retaining who you have, but trying to grow. Mm-hmm. A, you will have to find a way to add more value to those markets that were in the USFL, in my opinion, because I think if you're going all venues, like we know if you go all venues and this is why the USFL didn't want to do that yet, you have added cost. You have more travel cost involved. You know, you, there's more, I would say loser scenarios in terms of dollars going somewhere. You know, you have more money being paid out for extra services, extra expenditures, that's the challenge. So you're going to credit. The goal is eventually, hey, we want the TV dollars to supplement this, and we'll figure out getting the tickets will be extra gravy on the side. That's every sports platform now available, unless it's like unless you're the MLB or like one of the sports like that where they can consistently get venues in every night. Tickets just compound because of that much playtime. But in sports like the NFL, you need either a really big audience like the CFL with the gate sales, you need a big audience or you better start getting TV money. And I think the USFL, you know, I think it did a great job with, in terms of the value for the dollar for all the extra benefits with that price. But like you're saying, and I do think this is something that even I wasn't thinking about, but yes, it's an absolute point. You know, if we can't get a TV deal, then you have to somehow increase the ticket prices from this. Because there, I agree, you're not going to drop XFL prices unless you, for some reason, talked with the USFL guys and went, hey, we can see this working out. I just don't know how that'll fully enhance it. I mean, if anything, you know, we have more winning scenarios with some of the markets coming in like D.C. and St. Louis. They're they're big ones. They sell, They come close to, if not sell out their allotment a lot of times, and they make big ticket numbers as proven. You know, I think Birmingham, in terms of how they're they are, is a good USFL market. Memphis has that potential, but they're still newish and they've been burned a lot. So you have to keep building that. And then the other ones, it's just kind of build upon what you have right now and kind of get that value. But for the USFL markets, that is a big deal. Um, is that those prices might go up for those teams? You're really going to test the loyalty of those of those secured markets in Birmingham, Memphis. Whatever happens in Ohio, now credit if it's an Ohio brand, that might be almost a reset. Because keep in mind that was a neutral site right. pub, so a little different scenario. We'll have to wait and see how that works out. But it all comes down to how they brand it and how they get involved with the mid Ohio community. How maybe they market Cleveland or maybe they market more Pittsburgh better. Who knows? But beyond that, yeah, like if you bring Michigan in, same deal. Those prices are probably going to have to go up a little bit as well. And because you're adding more travel on, you're adding more expenses as well. You're still going to have those venue contracts, but you're going to be doing a lot more other things and moving about is your issue. So, yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. It's going to come to season ticket packages. The USFL, I don't know how much more value you add in because they did a really good job, but maybe they find some more. They talk to the XFL and they found some great ideas and they share ideas across the board is the best way to do it. Maybe there's just new things they can renegotiate with venues that helps add on the value for the tickets. I'm not hundred percent, but like given like, for example, Birmingham, they have premium seats in the middle of their, of their stadium, but protective, they're nice, comfortable cushion stadiums. They, you know, they recline, they're not like, be- like metal benches. 
those were already kind of a premium ticket. They're probably going to be more of a premium ticket because they're center field. It's a great view, by the way, and they're really comfy chairs. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are things you're going to have to keep in mind as you go forward. Pricing changes, those sales departments, I imagine those ticket departments, you know, like I'm wondering at what point, if the merger goes through, like when do like guys like Brett Zaleski go and talk with, you know, folks over at the XFL to start discussing where do we adjust value, but don't mess up fans that are used to the cheaper seats in one of these leagues. To be completely fair, I always try to look at things from different angles here. In some cases, the USFL has already started their renewal process and already has their ticket pricing out there. So maybe 2024 just flies as is because once you've kind of started something, you lured somebody in under a premise, you don't want to like a false advertising bait and switch type of situation. So maybe, you know, that's not where you make the adjustment. But if I'm a fan of one of these teams, if this merger happens for 2024, this is your last, you already lost your value with the second game. But prepare yourself that a price increase is coming for 2025. That I might mean, be your play. Honestly, that might be your play. Because, I I mean, you talk about, like, price hikes generally don't help with loyalty for, like, fringe customers anyway. So you're going to have to consolidate or you're going to have to find a better way to convince them, hey, don't go away. Look, you're paying more. But, but, but we've got ABC to add on to you. Like, you're not, you might be paying more, but you're going to get more for your buck. That's the thing you're going to have to do. But I do agree, like now you have the pricing charts out, which that has been going out. Deposits are being taken for both leagues, you know, as well for all markets that have venues. For some Um, cases, I'm already fully paid for mine. Right. I mean, yeah, some of them are already set in stone talking to them like that. I know that some some people that have season tickets for like the hub in Canton have been sending deposits and they've been asking ticket guys, hey, what do we do? What's the future here? How's this looking? You know, and they've been reassured by their ticket personnel i've seen these emails they are going to have like no matter what canton's not can is going to have some team there they have already said no matter what happens usfl merger or not you will have your deposit and whatever sales you make honored in some way we will make this worth your value so you know it could be that they might lock them in and then say okay um mulligan for next year we then do a lock across the board but that's a concession you make for a merger you almost sound like it almost sounds like an argument for like waiting till 2025, which is like the worst case merger scenario that they just wait a year and then come together, which doesn't sound too crazy for the tight time frame. But then again, we've seen USFL, the ELF as well in Europe. They've taken less than a year to make this stuff work. And these are two established properties. He's got to add assets together. So who knows? But tickets are a tricky one, man. Like you can't mess with your customer base especially for a league that relies on gate sales to make some sort of money back. Again, there's a million of things we can keep getting into and I I don't want to take too long. So I'll leave the last thing to you. Is there anything, you know, that's kind of the forefront of your mind with this that we haven't discussed that, you know, I don't want to kind of just pigeonhole you and force you not to discuss it. You think it's probably worthwhile to bring, Mm. you know, to bring up. Honestly, for this merger discussion, like I said, the TV is the big deal for me. I look at that as one of the, as though one of those, you just got to keep an eye on like any seriously this is for anyone listening in, like really read into the TV industry. Like it's, it's a big, like that's really going to affect a lot of what might come up here right now. Beyond that. I mean, I'm waiting to see how much more involved the USFLPA is. There are of course reports from all American football via their guys, formerly NFL draft Bible that 
the PA is going to be heavily involved in these discussions. And it almost sounds like the PA is basically going to become the union of this merger in the way. Like they want to start talking to XFL player personnel and they want to start getting associated with them. It really sounds like whenever this happens, if and when it does, again, it's not anymore when, but you know, you never know that they will kind of become the players union for this merger, which I mean, the XFL didn't have one, but they were still on the side post the first original vote that they were trying to still look for. And they just wanted a different Avenue, but now with the merger, it that's something to look for is like, Hey, see how that develops because that's a very well-established union that has a lot of good benefits. And I hope that many of those benefits and should stay with these players coming forward, but they are going to have a role to play in this whole thing. And uh, it'll be crucial to see how they are integrated into the merger uh, and how well integrated they get into the merger and what gets changed or what should hopefully stay the same from the original agreement with the USFL when it first was launched last year or yeah, last, last before last season. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't bring it up because I feel like there's so much research that I should do on this before I dive into that discussion. But I'm glad you brought it up because I do see that being a major, you want to use the term factor, hurdle, what, I mean, however somebody wants to look at it. Unions are no joke. Oh, no. You know, there was a thought that crossed my mind. And please don't, again, I don't know enough about this. Any, company i've ever worked for anything i haven't been involved with unions so don't don't act like i'm an expert on this oh no you're fine you're fine (laughs) no worries did kind of fear at first maybe that was a union busting thought that came to the table from fox and now i'm not saying that that again i'm not saying that is and i know that this particular union that the usfl has kind of got shot down in a vote by XFL players, but it's not that XFL players don't want a union. According to some very vocal ones, they said they did. It's just, this isn't the one they wanted to partner with. They actually want to be part of the NFL players union. Right. But now if you do come together, I'm not saying it's a union busting because again, I just thoughts, right? I'm trying to like, how do you make this work? Does it not work? A big part of that's going to come down to getting regulatory approval anyway. So it doesn't matter if these two sides come together. And we know when it comes to the federal authorities that look at approving mergers of any sort, they look at what are you chopping? How many jobs are going to be lost? What are the other things tied to this? So these two sides could come together on agreement, whether it's today, tomorrow, next week, whatever. And we could be told a million different things. But regulatory may not approve it as they have it agreed. They must go back and do some altering to get that regulatory approval. So I just want to put that out there. I do think the players union is a big piece, a big factor hurdle. Like I said, any term you want to use here for it, that is definitely going to be factored in because it's not just player jobs. And I know that the the union doesn't impact coaches and front office and executives and stuff like that, but there's a lot of jobs tied to here. Even if Fox was, on a operate on a shoestring budget, not that they cut corners, but they just did things much more conservatively and mm-hmm. frugal. And the XFL might have been a little bit more, but then they realized they spent too much money, so they had to change some of their own structure, obviously, after the 2023 season. So, again, some of those shifts have already been made internally, but it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. So, I'm glad you brought it up because that is something I just wasn't ready to get into because I don't have enough. Like, here I am, it sounds like I'm reaching for straws to have no, this no, it, and I'm like, it, it, there is a lot to that. 
No, and, and there is a lot to it. I mean, look, I, I, the union itself, you know, it was brought up. Obviously, they wanted to. A lot of it, I think, stems from just the fact that you wanted to make it competitive with the opposing league. You know, year one of the remember that we were on the USFL. You know, it was in terms of what had originally been pay scale, like with 2.0 XFL was pretty on par. But remember, a lot of you had a lot of agents then talking about it from the XFL pay scale is going to be up compared to even this. And so you brought a union in. It was for representation. You know, we had the housing discussion back then in 2022 and that this union deal helped that a lot. They get a stipend out of this. Like, think about the benefits right now they get, you know, they get basically roughly the same pay as the XFL. Maybe it's a little bit less depending on certain bonuses structure and what teams you're on and how the winning records are, but you get that you get a 401k, you get a guaranteed, you know, education pathway for university college setup. You get a housing stipend of that can go upwards of, from what I understand, it can be 12 to $1,600 a month towards you. And that's just for rent. So like, that's a lot of stuff you get and that you don't like if in this merger, that union is going to fight for that. And also because it's the steel workers, that's part of their collective conglomerate. So they're going to fight for that. That's a, the biggest union in, in North America. And it's going to definitely be part of that conversation. It'll definitely, it'll certainly factor into what pay scale and all that works. Honestly, that's where I think you almost feel like the union fits in here is that you're very close on pay scale anyway. So you might as well, if you're okay with it and you negotiate in, you might as well do that. The bigger question beyond that though, is if you're consolidating teams, that's where it gets tricky because you're going to have roughly anywhere from four to six rosters get axed. What happens to those players that get axed because of a merger, the union is going to have something to say about it, no doubt. But that's the big tricky part for them to figure out is, wait a minute, these guys are going to lose some jobs because these two entities are going to be merging right here in some way. It's a harsh reality of this situation, but you know, for a fact, we're going to lose upwards of four to six teams worth of players that is pushing upwards of, you know, anywhere from two to 300 players are just going to get completely chopped off the board. Some might switch over to teams or not. So that number is course just saying rough estimate 50 plus each team, you know, and then you cut them, but we're talking at least around two ish hundred jobs in terms of players signings and contracts will just completely get cut because the merger says, Hey, we don't have room for you. And if we're trying to save some money, I don't see them expanding to like a 70 man roster anytime soon or anything like that to kind of, move them in somewhere. So that's, that's a tricky component. There might be a way around this. Again, this is not knowing anything. This is me. Right. I mean, this is what we're talking right now, you know, right. But you might be able to get around this. And what I mean is the XFL is supposed to have an October draft. Okay. That's just not mm-hmm. that far away, but just because you draft somebody doesn't mean they're inked. Okay. So you might hold rights to somebody like within your own entity, but it doesn't mean they're under contract. The XFL is looking to have a supplemental draft in January, you know, as the NFL season kind of comes to an end, you got all those mm-hmm. practice squad players and whatnot. And just because you draft them doesn't mean that they're inked. So with the players that have left teams that got released from their contract to sign, like the XFL at one point had around, you know, shy of a hundred people or whatever. It's like 68, 70, I don't know, somewhere in there. I don't remember what the final number was before 
But once those people signed NFL contracts, they were technically released from their XFL contract. Mm. So that opens up technically roster spots. Doesn't matter how the XFL expanded their rosters to 90 players in the offseason. That doesn't mean player all 90 of those players were signed. They had rights. So it's kind of a you have to understand how the rosters work. Now I'm assuming on the USFL side, very similar. The guys that went and signed National Football League contracts probably terminated their existing USFL contract. So there's a roster spot. Maybe you don't go back after those guys because now you have technically so many people. But now this is where I'm a little intrigued because I've seen, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a football fan first before I'm an XFL fan. Mm-hmm. Heck, I was a Miami Dolphins fan since, you know, a young child. I still you know, love the Dolphins. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what league I follow or whatever. Keep an eye on certain things coming out of the USFL camp. And I noticed like the Houston gamblers released a bunch of players. You know, I think uh, James might've reported or whatever. I see a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if that means cynically their USFL contract is terminated. It might mean the USFL still has a right. So now other USFL teams would be able to pick those guys up. And I have seen that the USFL teams have been signing players, but that could be because their two-year deals are up, right? I mean, the, my understanding is that they had a two-year deal. Yeah, but if that's some the case, of them are. how many of these guys are not under contract? And are you at a number where you might have to just absorb technically whoever's under contract between the two leagues first and see what holes you might have? You might just be forced to do that before you pick anybody up through additional drafts is what I'm thinking. Now, again, speculation, my thought process, but I mean, like you might be forced to keep. Yeah. Certain uh, that, that there isn't, I mean, that's not too much of a crazy possibility. I mean, I know with like, for example, the releases, you know, right now you still have waivers. They still can have their under contracts through the waivers process, of course, for other teams. And then releases, you're basically out of a deal. <laughs> so. That's what is kind of how that is played out. Cause we've seen way, even waiver pickups on the transaction wire for the USFL, where you still get that one last shot to retain your contract. And then it's, you're clear of the system there. So there are, like I said, there are, or like you've said, there, there's opportunities. You can figure out what to do with these personnel and how to operate. And again, each one of these leagues, especially the USFL, they're dealing with, you know, original two years. Now they're going to renew some players. Others are under new two-year contracts. And some of those can probably be kept in place. It's just at some point consolidation will have to happen is the dire straits of it. But I would imagine like if you have a two-year deal with the USFL already, like you signed one this season, I would hope for the sake that they would try and argue that those players should get priority access since you already lock them in. And I imagine agents and even the PA, as much as the PA is trying to fight for all of them, the PA, I would imagine, probably says the two-year guys definitely need to be in. You can't just sign a two-year deal this offseason and then ax the two-year deals, you know, a month later. Yeah. <laughs> come months later. You know, like if you're like if you're re-signing and you're in like that like gray area where it was your final year of your deal and you need to renegotiate, that's where things get iffy. And you hope to God that your team stays or you have a roster spot you can then renegotiate with, with ever, whoever's managing your team. But I would hope, and I would imagine that like you're talking two year deals, I would feel get the precedent out of this. I mean, the XFL side, there's more teams. So that one comes down to, you know, Vipers roster in particular, and especially sounds like maybe the roughnecks roster, like, okay, what do we, what do we do here? You know, with those guys, but like, USFL guys, some of them, like you said, they already have, and like we know, they already have two year deals re signed. So those guys are probably going to get fast tracked. I would do it where I'd fast track them and be like, yeah, we got you under contract for two. 
we'd like to keep you unless the NFL wants you, man. You know, we have that deal with you in paper. Your agent probably wants you to have that in paper in that security while we're going through this weird time right now. Meanwhile, it is normal business as usual. As you know, you can't like, yeah, we're going to keep signing players, but it's a weird thing knowing now that there's a merger going on. You're seeing like New Orleans sign three players and you're going, well, wait a minute. The breakers are going to exist, right? Like, like you, you have to hope that that's the case. Or like you see the general sign. Well, generals have been more releasing players, but like, nonetheless, you see signings, you hope those signings stick is all is all you're hoping for but you have to keep status quo because that's what's going on there's no official merger yet they're just talking so you have to keep running business as usual just like this just like the showcases you still have to do the showcases until something changes again it's gonna come down to what they agree to whether it's 10 12 teams it doesn't matter the regulatory approval may not come in in time right so we got to keep in mind that they might have to go back in this. So there could be a separate 2024 season, but knowing that they're working towards whatever, it just buys them the time to work out those details for another, I say almost calendar year, but it's kind of offset a little bit, but it buys them time. So again, this is all discussions, reactions, thoughts on what we know, what's been put out there as per sources. Again, you take that, what you believe it's worth you the listener because obviously we may trust certain sources you know we may trust certain things we've heard ourselves because it's based off how often it's become true but you may also felt burnt by certain information so trust me i get it but again grain of salt take it think it we're just trying to help everyone understand what we're hearing what our thought processes are and it doesn't mean that I'm right. It doesn't mean that Zach's right. It just, we're trying to look at it from two different lenses. I'm solely in the XFL camp. I admit it. That's a bias because I have an XFL show. I have season tickets with an XFL team. Zach has a USFL show, even though I trust your judgment. And I think you look at things objectively and stuff and you don't really pigeonhole your th- yourself into certain thoughts or ideals. I respect this, but I do like it that you come from a different camp you know with a usfl show you're really entrenched in that so again i i really appreciate you zach coming on to the show you know obviously returning after you know man almost a two-year hiatus no i'm just kidding it's not, not, it's not a hiatus <laughs> just but to, to come back you know nearly uh two years later to have this really important discussion we had talked about the last time around it was a talent arms race which was talking about how different leagues are going to be going after the same talent. And now it's interesting because one of those arm races were the USFL versus XFL. And here we are potentially looking at a unified front and mm-hmm. how that may look going forward. So, you know, it's, it's always great to talk with you and definitely get your insight on this particular development or ongoing development. So thank you. Hey, no problem. I, I'm glad we're having these talks. It's, it's a busy week. You know, I'm, uh, having discussions everywhere with people on various different places. And uh, it's a big factor for those that been on one side or the other, or have been following this really since honestly, when this big boom started in 2019, thanks to the AAF. So yeah, it's a great, it's a weird, it's weird, but I think fun time to be a football fan. And I'm glad we got to talk again, man. It's been too, it's been too long, but I'm glad, I'm glad we got this done. Me too. So before you go, I'm just going to tell the listeners, if you are not, following the usfl podcast i recommend you take a moment 
hurry up, find it on YouTube, find out whatever on social media, subscribe, follow, like whatever you got to do, because it doesn't matter if you're an XFL camp right now. It looks like we're all going to be one big happy family, whether we like it. It could be a dysfunctional family moving forward, but we're going to work <laughs> towards being happy. Okay. That's just kind of how the world works. Hoping for a Brady uh, bunch. That's all we're wanting. <laughs> it's not just about being the family. You're definitely going to have insight and stuff coming in that I, I'm not going to have because there are two sides to this merger. Okay. Or to these discussions. Yes, sir. And it's going to be very wise that if anyone wants to really keep up to date and see whatever the latest, whatever different sides camps are kind of coming out of this, it's going to be wise to follow a show like yours and those social media accounts. So if you wouldn't mind before you go, just take a moment to remind our listeners where they can follow you and your work. Yeah. So I'm just going to defer to what you're saying. Look for at USFL podcast, favorite social media platform, Facebook, X or Twitter, whatever the hell you want to call it. Instagram. Um, we got a TikTok, although it's not always active, but if you want to follow that, go right ahead. And then uh, even on threads as well, same username at USFL podcast. Check out the YouTube page. Check out our latest episode on more of my takes as well as Stefan's or the ref's reaction to this whole thing. That should be a good follow-up if you want, or I guess precursor since this is after the fact. And I've gotten we've gotten a little more info since that episode. So this is kind of like more of an up-to-date thought compared to then. But if you want to like hear the like whoa factor from me, that's a good one to do. But yeah, USFL podcast, that's the main one I would jump into. Definitely my my big passion project, or when I get the chance to, I still love being on there. So do go support them, you know, really without a doubt. And support our network, by the way, that's you and I's with Pro Football Newsroom, because we got, I mean, this merger, that's just going to bring everybody together even more so, even our writing rooms, because there are two different writing staffs at PFN. So go support those guys, because we're going to be, I mean, one big combined league, there's bigger things than coming for us with having to combine even our websites now, possibly coming up into the year or so. Perfect. Thank you, Zach. And thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mike. I have to do this again, not two years from now, but again. <laughs> Zach is a knowledgeable and reasonable alternative football media member. I respect his opinions and thought process. I believe it is important to have an understanding for what people feel and think, as well as connections to both the USFL and XFL. By no means is this a done deal. This is a fluid situation, and the outcome can be completely different than the reports indicated. So, let's not try to take any of this as gospel and let it impact our passion for either of these leagues. Well, at least until we know the final outcome of these discussions. As I have also previously mentioned, we will now be joined by tight end and long snapper Miles Wright to discuss his football journey and XFL showcase experience. Welcome, Miles. I appreciate taking the time to come on to the show and discuss your football journey and XFL showcase experience. Thank you. You're welcome. I always like to start things off essentially where I believe it's beneficial for our listeners if we begin with a little bit of your backstory to provide them with a better understanding of who you are as a person and player. You had a well-traveled collegiate career from what I could tell from my research. You played mm-hmm. at Division One Morgan State and Towson University. But you also played at Division Two Bowie State and... Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's pretty interesting. Some people play at one or two schools, but you got three different experiences. So can you walk us through how you were introduced to the game of football and where that passion really came from? And ultimately, 
what your college recruitment kind of was like an overall college playing experience. Okay. So, uh, my answer, my introduced to, uh, football, I always say I started in eighth grade. I played a little bit when I was in a uh, little league. Like I played probably one year when I was in little league, but I was like five and like, it was like flag. So like, I don't consider that as like, you can be starting, but my first year in the eighth grade, and when I was in middle school, like I used to, we used to um play the middle school that I that I was at. We had a big old concrete basketball court, and we all used to play like tag football on on it. And we had this little thing called sideline pop, where you know how it's a regular basketball court, but if you start running the ball on the sideline, you was live basically, like you could get hit. So I was real good at that. I was real good at hitting people when they got on the sideline because I was always big, and then um. When we would get close to the uh, touchdown. So we like how we broke it up was the, you know, how it was like the, a full, it was basically a full court. So we used that as like the, the tag area. The out of bounds was the live area on the, on the sides so where you get hit. And then both ends of the court was the touchdown. So like that out of bounds area on both of the ends behind the goal was our, was our touchdown. So once we got there, they used to throw the ball up to me. Um, and I used to be like real good at catching that. And then we used to play like three fly. It used to be like a good 20 of us, basically. You could throw the ball up in the middle of the group. Whoever gets three uh, catches in a row, they is the next thrower. So I used to be good at that, too. And one of my homeboys came up to me and was like, why don't you uh, actually play football? Like, I think you would be good at it. And I went and asked my mother. And she wasn't really, like, trying to let me. For obvious reason, like uh, she really just didn't want me to get hurt, so she wasn't really trying to let me. But I kept begging her, begging her, and she ended up letting me. So I uh, played for uh, a limited weight team because I was like real big. And then for my age group, the teams that were like that you had to have a requirement for weight, they didn't, they weren't accepting like people my size. So I had to go to an unlimited weight team, and I played there my first year. I really wasn't too good. Until we played in, it was kind of like a national championship in Florida. That was like against just teams from all over, but like the basis was in uh, Florida. I got MVP of that. And then I went to uh, a school called St. Francis. I don't know if you know where that is. But I went to St. Francis Academy, um, played DN my first year. And... I really wanted to play tight end throughout my uh, whole year, but my coach was like real persistent on me being a DN. And I really just didn't want to be a DN, honestly. I played DN a little bit and I uh, was like leading the team in sacks. And um, I got my first shot at tight end my sophomore year. Played a little bit, but I really didn't get the ball or I really didn't score. I caught one pass against a team called Calvary Hall, but I didn't score. Until the following year, I kind of took a touchdown from one of my teammates. So in that play, um, it was like four verts. It was like um, trips to the right side. Basically, normally I would have a crossing route. It's three of us on this one side, so it's like a seam and then a go on the outside. And I knew that uh, chemistry that the receipt because the number one receiver on our team normally will get the ball in like any like clutch situation or a situation 
But I don't know. I just felt like, like I said, I was always good at like going up and getting the ball because I was always aggressive. And I knew it was going to him. So I took it upon myself to run his route. And they still threw the ball. And I kind of marked everybody. So, like, that was kind of the uh, my head coach's first time actually seeing me do something crazy on um, offense. And then from there, I went to my junior year. I did real good that year, and I was ranked the uh, number one tight end in Maryland, and I was ranked 16 in the nation. So I started getting some offers coming in. I got Wake Forest, uh, Duke, Syracuse. It was a uh, UAB was my first initial offer, but I believe they had something like with their program which shut down. So I guess that kind of went away, but that was my first initial offer. But Wake Forest ended up being my real first one since UAB had that problem with their program. Um, and then I just got a whole bunch of um, other offers. And I ended up committing to um, Towson because uh, I, I kind of just wanted to stay home, stay local. And I felt like I could get done what I needed to get done there rather than just going to a big school. And then I had my career at Towson. I played a little bit, but mainly I was used to uh, block. So I just did what they needed me to do. I played tight end and long snapper at Towson. And then when I graduated from Towson, uh, I transferred to Bowie. And I I did a lot of blocking there, too. Uh, I believe at Bowie I caught one pass, but the majority of the time I was there blocking, whenever they needed me to block, like, a big, you feel me, guy, or, like, there was some guy that they needed extra. Basically, I was an extra lineman. They would use me. Uh, I, pl- I was starting the long snapper at Bowie. And I was going to stay there for my uh, last year, but co- the head coach was pretty much the reason why I came. And he left and went to Morgan. Uh, and then that's how I got to to Morgan. And I pretty much had a, a good year there, too. Um, I was really used – I was used uh, a lot to block, too, but they gave me the ball a lot more. Then I was unfortunate to have gotten an invite to the uh, HBCU Legacy Bowl. Um, which is a bowl game for uh, all the HBCUs. Um, I long snapped the net, and I played tight end, which I played um pretty good. I think I got like three catches for like thirty some yards. Yeah, and I uh did pretty good in practice. So, well, I'm glad you brought up the HBCU Legacy Bowl because that was gonna be one of my questions. Can you kind of just walk us through what that experience was like? Because obviously you've been striving Mm -hmm. your whole collegiate career to get recognized by anybody, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's professional scouts and whatnot. So this bowl game obviously is a reflection upon what you were able to do in your career in the college level. So can you just kind of walk us through what that meant to you and what that experience was like at the Legacy Bowl? Um, for me, it was one of my goals that I set at the beginning of that season because I knew that that was pretty much the only bowl game that HBCUs had. So it just, it, I don't know, it meant a lot to me um, to be selected. I didn't know. And at the time, um, I had got invited to two HBCU bowl games. Uh, one was called the Pigskin Bowl. And one was, the it's two of them, the uh, Pigskin Bowl and the Legacy Bowl. Uh, while I was down at the Pigskin Bowl, like, 
I don't know. You just kind of got this feeling to where, like, you don't know which, like, what's going to happen after. You don't know what's going, like, because that HBCU is, like, kind of, this is just my opinion for real. It's not really, like, kind of structured to bridge you into the NFL. So it's like you're just, during that period, you're just kind of lost. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, you really don't know what to do where where it is, like, other programs. Because I know, like, at Towson, they had specific things for people to do. Like, you knew exactly what you were doing. So, like, in that regard, I kind of felt like I was on my own. And I just didn't know what was going to happen next. And then I ended up getting the invite there. So that just gave me another thing to, uh, you feel me, work hard for and just be grateful to have. And just really be able to uh, show my ability and, like, practice and in that game and not just uh, have to block the whole time. Which I love blocking, which is why I um initially started playing tight end. So like I don't, it's kind of bittersweet because like I don't have a problem with blocking. I love blocking, but at the same time I do love running routes and I love catching the ball. So like I really just had to uh, take advantage of the opportunity and the system that I was in while I was at that bowl game to really highlight that I could do both. So usually at these type of senior bowls, whatever, these recognition, these achievements, there's a lot of professional scouts around. So mm-hmm. did you see a lot of NFL scouts, Canadian Football League scouts? doesn't matter if it's USFL scouts, XFL scouts when you participated. Mm-hmm. And if you did, did you have any interactions with them? Yeah, I saw a lot of scouts and I talked to a lot of scouts. There was a lot of talking, a lot of interviewing. Man, like, they were uh, asking me about, like, long snappers. Like, I know I talked to the Ravens. I talked to the Broncos. I talked to um, the Chiefs. talked to the Giants for a brief minute. But uh, they were all kind of interested interested in different, like, things. Like, some was interested in a tight end and long snapper. Some was just interested in long snapper. Like, I know the Chiefs asked me, basically, like, uh, what if they brought me in just a long snap? And I was like. I'm just trying to find the opportunity anywhere I can, honestly. Like, even if I do get on the team at long snapper, I'm still going to try and play tight end. Like, I just I just need the opportunity and the door to open. But, yeah, there was a lot of teams, not so much XFL. Uh, I know there was one Canadian team, the Elks. I got an invite to one of their camps, too, in Baltimore. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I talked that- to those teams, and, yeah. Was that the only camp or workout that you were invited to out of yeah, after that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you think that workout went? I mean, did you have the head coach there? Was there particular coaches, or was it more just their scout kind of doing the workout? Yeah, what was that it was a uh, it was the head coach. The head coach was there. I believe the whole like coaching staff was there. They set out long snap real good. Uh, I think my time was uh, point eight. Zero for in fifteen yards and a point seven five between ten and twelve yards. So normally in college we snap at uh, ten and twelve yards, and in the NFL it's in the NFL just professionals fifteen yards straight. He said I snapped real good, and what we did we basically did one on ones for about like two hours straight. So. Out of the whole two hours, I went against uh, – I was only supposed to go against DBs, but I ended up going against linebackers, DBs, and I didn't uh, lose a rep there. So 
Well, it sounds like it did not equate into you getting a, a contract. Yeah. So, as far as I know, you did not play north of the border. So did you get any teams from like these arena leagues or anybody to reach out to you? I mean, we'll get to the XFL showcase here in a little mm-hmm. bit. Before that, did, were there any other coaches, any other leagues reaching out to you to gauge your interest? Because, I mean, there's leagues all over the world, you know. Even right. Europe has leagues. Mexico has leagues. Japan mm-hmm. as, as it's yeah. did, you, did anybody reach out to you to see if you had any interest? I talked to arena leagues. I talked to uh, the league, the actual league in Japan. Um, my homeboy plays. I have two homeboys that play um, in Japan. Uh, one's a receiver named Devin Phelps, which is the guy that I um, actually was talking about earlier that I uh, took the pass, took the touchdown front. And a quarterback named David Pendo, he played at played quarterback at uh UConn um a couple years ago. So I had the um their coach reach out to me. Honestly, I was kinda skeptical about going to Japan. Like I it's a real that's like a real like unfamiliar place. I don't know anything about Japan. And I don't know, I was just kinda like skeptical about it just personally. As far as the arena league. And the um Canadian league, the Canadian league, they they were basically telling me like they don't use tight ends because I'm like basically I'm like a I would be considered a blocking tight end, and they don't use tight ends the way that the NFL use tight ends. Plus, long snapper is a Canadian specific position, so that's what that's what that whole thing was with the uh the Canadian team. But they were saying like they love the way I ran my routes, but they look for more like receiver built tight ends because they don't like put their hand in dirt basically hardly ever. And um the arena league, I'm open to uh I'm open to uh playing in arena league. I know their season just stopped. I talked to uh I believe two teams from uh my agent. I talked to uh two teams. I'm open to playing in arena league. I would I would do that. So all right, let's dive into you had all that work, contact, it didn't quite come to fruition. So back on July mm-hmm. 9th, you were a participant at the XFL Washington DC showcase uh, that was yeah. held there at the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. What was your showcase experience like and how do you believe you performed at it? It was pretty good. I got a chance to uh talk to a lot of the coaches. I met a good amount of uh players. Um the experience was pretty good. It was a lot of time spent. They were evaluating a lot. Uh, I could tell that they was like taking their time, really evaluating players. As far as my performance, I, I didn't do as as I would like to have done. As far as testing, route running, uh, I feel like I did good. The uh, coaches said I did. I looked good. Um, snapping, I did good. They were saying um, I scored. They had like a score system and one being the highest and three being the, the lowest. I scored three once in the area of um, turnover. So basically the laces, they want the laces in a certain spot. So they was basically saying like that's kind of something that they wanted me to work on. I believe I got a three in that area two times. Um, but accuracy and speed was around uh I think I got two two times uh one all the rest of the times in both categories. So I snapped pretty good and I uh, ran routes pretty good. The only thing that I feel like was kinda 
that was kind of testing. I just didn't run as fast as I would would have liked to run. Yeah. So you mentioned you had talked to some coaches or personnel, you know, mm-hmm. coaches or personnel staff. So do you recall who you talked to? And is there anything you could share as some of the feedback? You know, you mentioned the laces thing. Was there any other, mm-hmm. feed, you know, particular feedbacks? That they have. Uh, uh, it was all. It was all mostly like speed. Like they were trying to. They were. They're basically saying that uh, they would like to see me get faster, which I've done. I've been doing a lot of speed training since then. I did get invited to. Um, they invited me to a private workout. It was supposed to be like the beginning of this month, I believe. But they had uh, canceled it due to like a hazard or something like that. So uh, that was kind of the last uh, thing that I got from there. Uh, but I got that invite from uh, Coach Krill. Um, and while I was there, I was kind of talking to the head coach and uh, the receivers coach. The receivers coach kind of was talking to me the, uh, the majority of the time, though. So you're on the radar, which yeah. is a good thing, right? I mean, that's what just... that's what I, that's kind of what I was saying. Like I was like, well, at least. When they when they had the private workout, they sent the invite to me. So I was grateful for that. And with this next one coming up, uh, I just plan to take, you know, full advantage of the opportunity that that I get. All right. So workout didn't come because of you said a hazard or liability issues mm-hmm. or whatever may have been going on. So got canceled. Unfortunate. So what are you mm-hmm. doing in the meantime? Right. I mean, obviously you gotta be grinding. I yeah. I have been watching your social media accounts and trust me, people, he is grinding. The videos are out there. I see you doing one on one drills, doing all sorts of different drills yeah. out there. What does your typical day look like? And you know, what, what does your work, you know, give me your personal, right? Because you obviously mm-hmm. gotta provide for yourself. You're not making yeah. NFL money. So what's your typical day yeah. typical day? Walk us through. Morning, you know, afternoon, evening. How are you fitting in your workouts? What are your workouts consisting of? That type of thing. So, normally a regular day for me is I wake up pretty early, um, between like five to seven. It just depends on how I sleep the night before, but I don't. I try not to get up later than eight, so I wake up around like five to seven, and then I do Uber in the morning just to get the certain amount of money that I want to make, like the baseline of money that I want to make for the day. And after that, I own my own business and I do like photography and videography. So any projects that I need to do, I come out right after I'm finished Uber and I come home, uh, start editing. Or if I got to shoot, I go shoot after that. Or if I don't have anything to edit or shoot, I do content also. So on my social media, like all of the stuff that I do on there, like I get paid from uh like YouTube, TikTok. It used to be Instagram, but they like stopped their whole program. So I do uh stuff where I react to games and NFL games, uh college games. I uh, react to like Morgan stuff. Just anything, really, anything, anybody, everybody asks me, whatever, like, the big thing that they ask me to react to, um, I just watch. And I uh, get paid from that also. And then after that, I'm probably finished around, like, 
12 to 1, I'm trying to wrap everything up. So whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to finish it. After 1, depending on just how I'm feeling, because I do wake up early, either I take a nap or I go straight in the workout. So today and uh, yesterday, I took a nap. And then uh, probably, well, we had this interview at 3. So after the interview, I'm going to go work out. But typically, it'd be a little bit early. Yeah. Typically, it'll be around like 3, probably 2.30 around that area. So what does your workout look like? I mean, are you a lot more one-on-one stuff? I, I see the videos, so obviously that's an element of it. But can you walk us through mm-hmm. what your typical day is? I don't know how typical those videos are recorded, but can you walk us through what your typical routine so, is? Is it one-on-one pretty, with a trainer, other guys? Mm-hmm. I pretty much record. The one-on-one stuff you see is with um, Destroying. I don't know if you know who that is. But the uh, one-on-one stuff, I just do like he has events. Uh, he did. He's doing like a one-on, a one-on-ones NFL tour. So he basically goes to different um, NFL teams, facilities, and holds one-on-ones there. So I've been going to a lot of those and competing in those. Um, the prize I believe is ten thousand dollars. So I go to compete. And and those uh just to get some recognition, help me out social media wise and just all of the above for real. I like the competition. I just love everything about the competition, you feel me, the events and people that I'm able to meet. As far as my workouts, I pretty much record everything because like I said, I'm a, a content creator. So everything I do is pretty much recorded. So like every day I'm pretty much like recording every bit of my workout i got a 360 camera so i just sit it up and then press record and it like records me like do everything but that normally consists of like uh mondays i would say like monday wednesday and probably friday i switched to calisthenics so i've been trying to do a lot of body weight stuff um lay off the weights because i know weights like tearing joints uh just trying to preserve my body kind of um and with teams have pretty much been asking me for was to get down and wait and um they want me to basically move faster so that's what i've been trying to do so i've been switching to, i switched to calisthenics i've been doing a lot of body weight stuff um a lot of plyos and explosive stuff and then just working on my speed a lot running hills doing sprints stuff like that so mondays monday wednesday friday i normally uh do like uh, heavy calisthenics and just working on different muscle groups. And then the other days I probably pair, I pair conditioning in every day, but some of it is speed conditioning and some of it is just pure straight conditioning. So I normally work out like five, five or six days a week. So we know that the XFL has a draft on October 4th mm-hmm. shared by the director of player personnel from the Houston Roughneck. So where are you at? Are you holding out to see what comes of that draft? Are you planning on attending one of the upcoming showcases that is after the draft? Because we know there's another XFL showcase in Orlando, Florida. And then we know there's going to be one in San Diego later in October. So are those on you know, your radar? I'm going, I'm going to the one in Orlando. Oh, well, maybe yeah. I'll see you there. That's where. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm a real big believer in uh chasing what i want so i'm just trying to take any opportunity to 
at least give myself the chance and compete at the same time. Cause like I look, like I, like I said, with the one-on-ones and stuff, I just love competing. So any setting that I can get to at least show what I could do, I want to be able to take advantage of that. So I'm going to go to the, the, the showcase regardless. Well, Hey, I hope to bump into you there. I have applied for press credentials and we'll see if I get okay. approved. If not, there is a, another show that I'm affiliated with neon green mafia that is planning on putting together a tailgate there at the high school, no alcohol okay. involved, but they're planning on meeting up and trying to support the league and obviously the players that are pursuing their, their dreams. So you know, hopefully we can cross paths one way or another, but um, hopefully, you know, I think it's important here because obviously you've had some contact and you're in front of XFL coaches and scouts. So it's not like you're obviously starving for a chance to get in front of people. So they're aware of it, right? You were obviously yeah. going to go to the, it sounds like the DC defenders work out there at one point. And, you know, unfortunately that did come mm-hmm. to fruition due to yeah. it being canceled. So of other coaches that may not have you on their list, like their watch list, so to speak. Yeah. Why don't you take a moment right here? Because I have had executives on the show before. I have had the pleasure of interviewing coaches before. So my show is somewhat on the radar, right? They're aware of it. I don't know if they tune in or not. So if they happen to be tuning into this episode and they're probably wanting to find out who you are as a player, why don't you just take a moment and explain to them exactly who you are as a person and player. What is it that you bring to the table yourself? that's different from all the other players or separates you from the other players that are at these showcases workouts that are vying for the same opportunity. I would say uh, what sets me apart from people is that I'm a hard worker. I know a lot of people say that, but that's like pretty much what my whole career has been consisted of just hard work. And I'm a team player and I'm selfless. Um, You can see that throughout my whole career. Like even through high school, like the my junior year, I was leading the team in receiving yards, and my senior year, a group of we had a whole coaching staff change, and they ended up changing the offense, going in more of the run direction. And instead of a lot of people transfer, a lot of people didn't want to do it because they were playing a certain way on the team prior, and I chose to stay and accept the role that they gave me, which was just more of a blocking. And I uh, excelled at that, and we ended up winning the championship as far as – and kind of the same thing at Bowie. Just um, I'm not like a selfish guy. I'm more of a, I'm a team player. I, I would say, I'm going to say I'm kind of easy to work with. So I do – I can do anything like as far as just blocking. I block my tail off. I feel like blocking is just a want to. Some people really just don't want to block. Some people just prefer to catch the ball. So like that's why they I, they normally have like blocking tight ends and they normally have pass catching tight ends. But yeah, I don't know if you seen my one on ones, but I can run some routes and catch the ball just as good as people that just run routes and catch the ball, and I can block just as good as people that block because all because I want to. I feel like I got a great mindset. I'm a great team player. Yeah, I just feel like I that's my best quality though. Like I work even if like the odds are stacked against me or like there's a lot of people in front of me. I just look at it as more of a chance to get some work done, uh, more of a chance to progress. It's like, I'm just a hard worker. I feel like that's my best quality. That's the best you're going to like, if you don't 
get anything outside of me, you know, you're going, you know, I'm going to be working as hard as I can. And that's just like studying the game, like studying, you feel me, on the field, off the field. I work as hard as I possibly can. Well, Miles, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show, sharing your Thanks. football journey and XFL showcase experiences. And it's good to see that you'll be participating at the one here in October in just a couple of weeks in yeah. Orlando. I definitely wish you the best of health and luck because, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you, you want to be feeling really good physically the day going into those things. So I wish you the best of health and luck because it doesn't Thanks. hurt to have both of those on your side. Oh, you're welcome. If you are fortunate and this opportunity, you know, comes to fruition and you, you make it into an XFL camp, you know, and eventually make a team, I'm going to mm-hmm. leave you an open invitation that if it works out with your schedule to come back so we can eventually discuss what that experience was, eventually becoming a professional football player and what it's like to be on a team in the XFL and whatnot. So mm-hmm. open invitation. It's up to you. <laughs> if you I'll, I'll take it definitely. I'll take it down. Before you go, if you don't mind, I think this is a good chance for you to share with our listeners where they can follow you and obviously the different projects. You say you got some side gigs going on. So why don't you go ahead and plug yeah. yourself for social media, the different things you got going on, so they can follow you, see what you're working on, and you know, stay in touch on what your journey is looking like. So if you do end up in the XFL, they know a little bit more about you. Uh, I have an Instagram, which is up top underscore ham, TikTok, up top underscore ham. Everything's pretty much up top underscore ham. If you type in up top underscore ham, pretty much on anything, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, I'm going to come up. So that's pretty much it. Well, perfect. Thank you, Miles. Thank I am grateful to connect with Miles and for him to share his journey. I truly love connecting with players like him who have had a journeyman pathway and continue to grind for the opportunity to fulfill his dream of playing professional football. I wish him the best and hope to reconnect with him in Orlando. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line message this week. If you have an XFL related comment, question, or hot take, and would like to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, Do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you are interested in checking out our friends over at True Victory, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, PLAYER54, for 15% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.